Amen. Thank you, young ladies. What a blessing that was. And they were singing that song. I was thinking about Paul as uh, Paul was heading towards Rome and, of course, on trial for his faith in the Lord in the book of Acts. And I love that statement. Paul said, the Lord stood by me. And God is always with us. And uh, listen, whatever you're going to face in the coming days ahead, you won't have to face it alone. And he said, I'll never leave you. And so we thank God for his presence and his abiding presence is something that always brings comfort to our hearts. Well, hopefully you grabbed uh, the notes on the way in and uh, anybody did not grab a copy of the notes needs one. Raise your hand, Brother Kenny or somebody here. Uh, keep your hand up. A couple over here and one over here, one down here. And uh, Brother Robert, you have an extra one right down here. Yes, all right. Well, turn your Bibles to Song of Solomon. If you still need one, keep your hand up. We want to make sure everybody got one. Make sure your pencil is sharpened or your pen is full of ink, all right? And so we'll cover the Song of Solomon tonight. And I've been uh, just spending some time with the Lord. I, I like to plan things out, but I always want to uh, make sure that God has uh, got the deference when it comes to uh, direction as far as messages, and uh, just to let you know, uh, I'm I, with the Lord's help, I'm going to try, uh, if God gives me the opportunity, I'm going to try to conclude Route 66 by the end of this year, and so what we're probably going to end up doing is next week, of course, we will uh, venture into the, uh, the prophets, the major prophets, and there were four major prophets so we'll take a Sunday night for each one of those, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then we will take the minor prophets, not to say that there's not some great content there, but I will probably double up or maybe even triple up on a few of the minor prophets. And with the Lord's help, we'll get all the way through this. How many of you have been keeping these notes? Been keeping, listen, I, that's, that's very encouraging, not for me, but for you. This is something that hopefully is something you can build upon and maybe have a, a three-ring binder or something. I know that I've kept all of them. I've never done an in-depth study the way we've done with Route 66. I've enjoyed it. I, I have gotten so many things out of this study, and I hope that many of you also have gleaned some good things. Tonight we come to a book that uh, is, to many, uh, one that's a little bit difficult to understand and get your mind and heart around, but it's known as the Song of Solomon, and the heading of this book, the last of the poetical section in our in our Old Testament, is the book of heavenly love, the book of heavenly love. And so it says here under the name of the book, the book is called the Song of Songs, and you see that if you have your Bible open in chapter 1 and verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And so we find here this is the most beautiful. Solomon wrote many, but this is the most beautiful of songs. It's a love song that exhibits uh, the fondness of nature, springtime flocks and vineyards. There's a lot that takes place in this particular book. And so when we look at the contents, I'll, I'll preface when we go through the contents here to help you understand a little bit the direction that, uh, that the Lord led me. Notice, since the writer does not state in the book what his purpose of writing is, this book has been, to some, difficult to interpret. There are several interpretations or views. Now, 
I'm going to share these with you and understand that as I share these with you, that many of them would be views of people that, uh, you know, when it comes to what we've been doing, Bible uh, understanding and, and studying the Word of God, there's many different ways. For instance, we can approach the Bible, we can divide it Old Testament, New Testament. We can divide the Bible as we've been doing with the historical books and uh, the, the books of the prophets and then, of course, the New Testament. There's many ways you can approach the Bible from a dispensational approach. And I think all of it is good because it helps us to take the whole and maybe take it apart, take a look at it, and so many people view it. If you were to understand it from a natural standpoint, let's say you were out in the, the area here, and I hope that this doesn't happen, but you might, uh, you might witness an accident, uh, maybe at an intersection. And, of course, it's almost an everyday occurrence around here. But, but as you maybe saw that, the police would come to you, and the police would say, okay, so what did you see? And so you tell the police officer from your vantage point, your view, what you saw. You might go to somebody else who was uh, on a car traveling the other direction. What did you see? Maybe go to a third person, a fourth person, and they get different views of the same thing. That doesn't mean that all of them are wrong. But what it does mean is that if you put them together, it's like the, the gospel. There's only one gospel, but yet... In our New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So there's not, there's not Gospels, there's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you put those four together, listen, I enjoy pie, but I don't want one slice, I want the whole pie, all right? So when I study the Bible, I want to understand it as a whole, but when you look at some of these different views, let me share some of these with you. Now, some of them do tie in in a biblical, scriptural way. Some of them may be ways that other people view it, and you can take it for what you want, glean from it. So let's look at these six ways, and maybe you've heard of some of these before. The first one is from an allegorical view of the book known as Song of Solomon. This particular view is a symbolic narrative. They view this as a story that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Sometimes we see this. I think, now again, I don't believe this is stretching it, but I do believe that just like many books in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament concealed many times in the New Testament is revealed. Uh, a lot of times we see something that maybe is brought to light in the Old Testament, but it is further expounded upon in the New Testament. Now, some people misinterpret things, like, for instance, there are some today that believe that Israel is the church. That's not a biblical interpretation. That's not true, because both of those are separate in the Word of God. But I think that some of the things that you see in the Song of Solomon are things that we, and we'll talk about some of these, that maybe God gives us some light in the New Testament about. Now, an allegorical view expresses in a variety of lively metaphors, and we look, we've looked at some, even in, on Sunday mornings, the union between Israel and Jehovah, Jehovah God. Now also, if I were to add to this, many people believe that it also lends to what we see in the New Testament, the, the relationship between Christ 
and the church. And of course, the Bible says that the, 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 the Lord gave himself for the church and of course brings into the marriage relationship the husband should be to the wife the way Christ was to the church. And so some will view this in this way of metaphors showing the union. Now another view, and of course as Bible-believing Christians, we like to look at things in a literal way. And so when you, we talk about this, we're talking about the words of God in their most basic sense without metaphors, and they represent the exact words of the text. In other words, God said what he said, and he means what he means. Now, as we look at this, this literal view says that the book presents actual history and nothing more. And so this is a more literal approach or view to the book known as Song of Solomon. Now, some look at it in a dramatic way. Uh, one author said this, that the book presents the story of a girl of a poor family working in a vineyard which belonged to Solomon. As a young shepherd, Solomon met this girl and they fell in love. The shepherd slash lover had to go away in the promise of, with the promise of his return. She, this poor uh, girl, she became despondent over her long wait, but she remained faithful to her lover. While working in the field one day, word was brought to her that King Solomon, who was in her village, wanted to see her. Amazed, she immediately recognized him as her shepherd lover, and they go together to his palace in Jerusalem, and it is there that most of the story takes place. So again, from a little bit more of a dramatic view, this is the story as it unfolds, and we can understand it from that view also. Now, there is a literary view of it, and when we mean what we mean by literary is this is a style that's marked to uh, create a particular emotional effect. Uh, sometimes people read things, and be careful about what you read. Make sure that it is good, it's edifying, it's Christian in its nature, but oftentimes the things we read, they bring about an emotional effect in our lives. Now, this book, from a literary view, states that the book is simply a collection of love songs, and that's the way some view the book known as Song of Solomon. From a liturgical view, and what we mean by that is it's something related to public worship. It's a collection of rituals. This says that the book is nothing more than borrowed pagan liturgy that's linked to fertility. Now again, uh, we don't aspire to that, but notice, and I wanted to add this, you don't see it in your notes, but the fact that this book is an accepted part of the canon of scriptures, in other words, uh, part of the Word of God, all Scripture is get, given by inspiration of God. This book is accepted by the Jews, and it has always been included as inspired, and therefore would rule out this view of the liturgical interpretation. In other words, it is not something that is uh, borrowed from pagan litur liturgy and linked to fertility, but many would say that is what the book is about. And then the last one we see here is this view known as the didactic moral view, which deals with instruction. It's instructive or intended to teach, 
or to demonstrate, especially in regards to morality. And you see some of that being brought to light. And, and we see the relationship there between God and what is right. So the book states that the Song of Solomon represents the purity of love, the sacredness of love and marriage in that relationship that's ordained by God between a husband and wife. So some of these views, again, we can see how they would fit into the confines of the scriptures, and yet there are some that are far-fetched. It says many of these views are guilty of reading too much into the meaning rather than allowing the text to speak for itself. Sometimes what we do is we want to spiritualize something more than God's intention for it. So we need to study God's Word in the light that He gives it to us and understand it and not make more of it than God has intended. And again, say, Pastor, how is that possible? God has given you His Spirit so that His Spirit can guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit will illumine you and help you to understand as you read and study. Listen, I've been saved 36 years, and there are still parts of the Bible that I do not understand. But I am asking every time, as I look at some of those passages, God help me to understand. God has shed more light on certain things as I have grown, and yet there are still some things that I'm waiting for. I've heard men and women that have been saved for many more years than I have who have said to me, there's still so much that I don't understand. I wish I could stand here tonight, and I know that Brother Bill's been teaching the Bible much longer than I have. I wish we could have all the answers, but I've only ever known one person that has all the answers. And someday, maybe God will reveal all things. But as we look at this Bible, notice with no further guideline from the New Testament, the best approach to take when it comes to this book is the one most consistent with the grammatical, historical, contextual, and that is the literal one in which Solomon and his bride are used to address the topic of the romantic experience within the God-ordained marriage. Now again, you think about the world we live in today, what is man trying to do? Man is trying to twist and corrupt our thought process, and yet the Bible tells us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Don't let this world form, and listen, I, I'm concerned about some of you that have young children, and maybe some that would have children someday, that, that listen, as Christians, we need to make sure that we are not giving our children over to thinking what the world thinks. We must have a life that is centered around the Word of God. What does the Bible say, especially in regards to the marriage as God ordained it and God intended it? Now, if you look at the outline there, I think it's on the last page, and you, you have it there, and so it deals with really three aspects. You um, probably could help yourself, and I don't have all the time tonight, but it's, it's a neat study to understand, see, we have, I've only ever lived in America. I was born in America, and unless something changes, I'll live here, and my life will end in the United States of America. Be careful about Americanizing the Word of God. There is much that we need to keep in the confines, the, the context of what God has given His Word. And what's beautiful about this book 
is if you would help yourself, familiarize yourself with the, the entire Jewish wedding. It is one of the most beautiful pictures, and it deals with things that we do not really understand from an American standpoint. You see this in the Song of Solomon. It deals with the courtship. It deals with the wedding. And then you see the maturing marriage. And, of course, this is really what God is intended for us too. But, you know, the Bible talks about, like, for instance, Joseph and Mary, and it talks about that she was a spouse to him. Well, again, that espousal is not something we might call it an engagement in America, but it's not quite the same. And it's a neat thing when you see here that the speaker, how it changes. It begins with the bride, then you see the groom coming into view as far as the wording, the language there. Then you see the wife again, then the husband, and then you see both of them coming together at the end of the book. And so you look at that, uh, that outline that you have there and use that. And, and some of you may have read this uh, prior to our time here tonight. Maybe some of you, after we go through it, you have tools like this. Maybe then you could sit down. It would help you to understand it in a greater way. But uh, I'll tell you this, uh, a lot of Jewish people understand much more the backdrop behind the Song of Solomon than most of us that have an American mindset. I I'll tell you one of the greatest things over the years that I've really leaned back on is books that deal with the customs and manners of the Bible. Uh, I love to understand, you know, oftentimes we read certain things in the Bible and we really don't get it. Like, most of us nowadays, now I, I happen to know, but a lot of people don't know what a yolk is. They think it's something in an egg. But when you study the Bible, that's not what that's making a reference to. Now, I have no idea what Brother Kenny and Miss Becky were teaching on Wednesday night, but I saw one on the board in the teen room, and I was pretty impressed that they're in there teaching the teens about the yolk. But, you know, you think about this, you have this Many of them were wooden, they were, they were a monstrosity, they were very uh, bulky, and oftentimes you had two animals that by themselves, they, they would do their own thing, but when they were brought under this yoke, they had to work together. And it's, it's a neat concept, and of course, what does Jesus say in the New Testament? Take my yoke upon you. Now, a lot of people are like, well, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't, I don't want, I don't want a, a weight on my life. But remember, Jesus said that your burden would be what? Light. Now, we don't understand that. Why? Because we don't understand what a yoke is. We don't understand what the Lord is saying. And that's why we need to study the Bible in its, as I said earlier, as God has given it to us in the grammatical, historical and contextual way that God has given it to us. I've said it before, I'll say it again and again and again. The Bible is still the greatest masterpiece that man has ever owned. And it's a tremendous resource. Now look at the character of the book. Again, we're in this section and it's, it's dealing with poetry. It's a dramatic poem that is given here, a beautiful love story. The subject, the poetry, takes the form of a dialogue between a husband and his wife, or in other words, the king, talking about Solomon, and the wife is mentioned as the Shulamite, all right? And we see this as the subject. Now, the purpose of the book is to exalt the virtues of love between a husband and wife. 
Uh, the poem clearly presents marriage as God's design. We see that all the way back in the book of Genesis. A man and woman are to live together within the context of marriage. Think about how many today don't want to make that commitment. They don't want to get married. They don't want to uh, make those vows, listen, not only to each other, but, but to the Lord. And, and so understand, God has this book that teaches us how we should love each other spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, the marriage profiled in the Song of Solomon is, I believe, a model of care, a model of commitment, and a model of delight. Uh, you know, people that talk about marriage and, and say things that really are not, should not never be said, referring to their spouse as their ball and chain and and, and my old this and my old that. Listen, that is very disrespectful to the design that God has given. And we need to understand this book and understand it as God has given to us. It's a wonderful model for us as we look at it and help us to understand it. Now, the outline of the book is really just broke down in a couple simple ways. Notice, first of all, the beginning of love, and it deals with fostering love, the fulfillment of love, and then once love has begun in chapters 1 to 5, the last couple chapters deal with the broadening of love. And remember earlier I, I said that uh, from a dramatic viewpoint, there was a time of separation. So notice there are chapters 5 and 6 and part of 7 deals with frustration. And then we see the fulfillment of love as it matures. And again, it's a beautiful book dealing with the subject of love. The scope of the book is it was written over a period of one year, and the writer, of course, is Solomon. It mentions that in verse 1 of chapter 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, Solomon, I, I think I mentioned this last week, we've looked at the book of Proverbs, we've looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, and he's responsible for the book of Wisdom, Proverbs, he's responsible. We saw the, the book of Folly, Vanity of Vanities, All is Vanity. And then we see here tonight the Song of Solomon, which is really the book that he wrote on love. And so really three different, um, three different stages of Solomon's life. And we see this one being one that, that is uh, one to be very helpful to us. And who, was he, who did he write this to or who would God have this to be for? I believe really honestly, even though it's in the Old Testament, it's for mankind in general. I believe the book is helpful and it was written between 965 and 950 B.C. It was recorded in Israel by Solomon, and the key chapter is chapter number one that deals with the communion between the bride and the bridegroom. And, of course, the bridegroom, nowadays we just call it the groom, the bride and groom, but we see this from the Word of God. The key verse is chapter six in verse number three, I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine, he feedeth among the lilies. And uh, the key word, 23 times the word beloved is used. Matter of fact, that's the word Jesus used of John in the New Testament. And we see, we see this word not only in the Old Testament, John writes in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because... It knew him not. Beloved, now we now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How many of you are looking forward to that day, right? And it's going to be a wonderful day, but listen, we are his 
beloved, and he is ours. And I'll tell you, there's no one in my life, I love my wife, but there's no one like Jesus. And God means so much to us, and we see this even here. Now, notice the key phrase, similar to what we saw a minute ago, my beloved is mine and I am his. And we see that in, if you want to write the reference, that Song of Solomon 2.16. And earlier we saw something very similar in chapter 6 and verse number 3. The key thought to the book is the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ and the spiritual thought that goes along with that is to love him with all your heart. Now listen, sometimes we say we love the Lord, but words are cheap. Jesus said, if you love me, finish it. Keep my commandments, right? And and so again, we need to show, uh, there's a lot of times where I tell my wife that I love her. But what I try to do from time to time is show her. And there's many ways that you can do that. Now, when it comes to the Lord, the greatest thing you can do is to obey Him. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, remember he said this is the conclusion of the whole matter? Remember that? Chapter 12? What was it? What's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep His commandments. And so that's, that's what it's all about. That's the whole duty of man. So when we look at this book, it's, it's wonderful to think about we have to love Him with all our hearts. Why? Because He first loved us. Listen, you can't help but love the Lord. He loved us while we were unlovable. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the uniqueness of the book, it goes back to the outline. It's really, remember I said it's a dialogue between the bride and the bridegroom. So I want you to see this. I've given you not only places in the book, but even in the New Testament where you see this relationship. And so the uniqueness will begin with the bridegroom, okay? In our society, this would be the groom. And so it says here in the book of Song of Solomon that his love in the book covers all defects of the bride. Think about that. God loves us, right? It covers all defects of the bride. He rejoices over her. You know, the Lord loves us. My question is always, why? Notice, he gave his life for her. We see that in the book of Ephesians, you know, and, and we see that in the, in the Old Testament, how there's no greater love than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Notice another thing about the bridegroom, he will come to claim her as his own. Uh, there's a beautiful passage there, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, the Lord is coming back someday. I hope it's soon. And then notice, he will present her to his father, a glorious bride. Remember how the Bible talks about, and there's many places, but it talks about the, the ten virgins and five of them had what? Five of them had oil. And remember how that they were waiting and the five that didn't have oil while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And there's a lot of people who are putting off someday, you know, Paul t- said that to Agrippa. Almost, you're almost persuaded. If you're here tonight, you don't know the Lord, don't put it off another day. Settle it tonight. Best decision you'll ever make this side of heaven. 
And so we see here a wonderful, beautiful picture of the bridegroom. Now look at the bride, because if we understand the bridegroom, then notice the other part of it is how that she feels unworthy. And you see this right here in chapter 5, matter of fact, or chapter 1, verse number 5. Notice these words, I am black but comely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. In other words, look, none of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve the love of God. And so the bride feels her unworthiness. Notice she loves the bridegroom because he loved her first. And she is purified and dressed in a robe of righteousness. And listen, it's not our righteousness because ours is filthy rags. It's not a robe of righteousness. But because of what the Lord has done for us, she, notice, wears the jewels of divine grace. It's only by the grace of God she looks for his appearing. Do you get up every day saying this could be the day? Because you should live that way. Remember Brother Dave McCracken that was here? Dave McCracken texted me this morning. I was in my office, and he texted me one word in all capital letters, and the word was preach. And then he put this statement after it, as if this was your last message. That's why I'm convinced one message could change a life. We have no idea. Listen, God could come back today, and it would be just awesome if he did. And so look for his appearing, his glorious appearing. And then look at the bride. She invites others to the wedding. Are you telling people about the Lord? You want to see your friends and loved ones? Talked about that this morning. Being a light, sharing the Lord with other people. And, and we need to make sure that we are inviting others so that they too can enjoy the splendors of heaven. Now, how is Christ magnified in the book of Song of Solomon? Well, a couple ways. Notice, first of all, the Rose of Sharon. How many of you have heard that phrase before? The Rose of Sharon. Do you know that the Rose of Sharon is not actually a rose? Actually, when you study it out, I, f- I found it to be a neat study. I was going to do a bunch of things, but I felt like the Lord just said, no, no, just keep it here. But this is actually a... Um, uh, I was trying to think of the word. Miss Becky would know what it is. It starts with an H. It's a plant. Uh, can't, can't remember, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share, share it with her later. But, but what they would do is they would get, they would get oil from this, this plant. And, and so the reason for the Rose of Sharon is because the oil actually was used to treat cuts and wounds. And so Jesus is called the Rose of Sharon. Why? Because... Oftentimes, because of sin, what does he do? He heals us and he restores us. He's the rose of Sharon. And many times in life, we are wounded and we need, as the Bible even talks about, the balm of Gilead. But here in the book, we see that he is the rose of Sharon in chapter 2 and verse 1. Also in that same verse, he is mentioned as the lily of the valleys. Now, a lily is actually a sweet, white beautiful, pure, fruitful flower, but it possesses medicinal qualities. Most people don't realize that about a lily. And again, when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, same thing. He's beautiful. He's pure. He brings much fruit in our lives because of his work. And what does the Bible say? He is the great physician. 
and the Lord, of course, can do for us which no one else can do. Many times I've talked to people who have had brokenness in their lives. Listen, oftentimes we think from a human standpoint that that could never be healed, but God can do what man cannot do. With Him, all things are possible. And so He is the lily of the valleys. Notice in chapter 5 and verse number 10, He is mentioned as the chiefest among 10,000. He's the heavenly bridegroom in chapter 5 and verse number 10. Now, what is, the, what is Solomon referring to here? Well, when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's literally saying here that he is better than anyone you could ever possibly meet. He far surpasses all the competition. There's never been and there will never be another one like Jesus. And we see him magnified as the chiefest among 10,000. And then in chapter 5, verse 16, it's a neat little statement here. He is the altogether lovely one. And Jesus is the loveliest person that anyone could ever set their eyes upon. Psalm 45, 2, thou art fairer than the children of men. And so we see this. Now, one of the things that, as I read this years ago, that kind of arrested my attention, I'm going to finish on this thought tonight is this from chapter 2 and verse number 4 where the Bible says he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. You remember the story in the Old Testament about Mephibosheth and how Mephibosheth really did not deserve because of Saul but remember what David did? David brought Mephibosheth to his table. And you know, in the New Testament, there was a Syrophoenician woman, and she was just trying to get a little bit of food. And she was, she was just trying to get something from maybe even what people were dropping. And Jesus recognized this woman because of the faith that she had. And I'm going to tell you something, you and I, we do not deserve to sit at the table with the Lord. We definitely don't deserve to have His banner of love over us. But because of the grace of God, God has given us a welcome, an invitation to pull up a chair and to be a part of His banqueting table. I thank God for that. Every time I think about who I am and what the Lord has done for me in the, the condition that He found me. The banqueting house is the place of fellowship and delight. Fellowship and Christ's love are both a continual feast. They're not just something that happens one time. It's continual with its provisions, its delight, its satisfaction. Listen, we don't need anything other than Jesus. He is all we need. And Solomon, in this book, he brought this Shulamite, this one woman who felt so undeserving and so unworthy. He brought her to his banqueting house for an extended season of communion. And we find that it is in this place, this banqueting house, this extended season of community, that it is the place where true joy is found, which is only the believer in Christ has access to. You and I have access to the joy and the fellowship with God. And in the Song of Solomon, it is Solomon who brings this Shulamite into his house. She is not able to enter in herself. And so we also, notice, have the right 
and the ability to do so only because we are doing it in Christ as He brings us to Himself in these times of fellowship. I am so glad that He came down to us, that He gave Himself for us, that He has made it possible. And so Solomon set a banner or a standard over his beloved, and that banner was love. And the Christian's banner that's given by Christ is the same banner, and it is the banner of love. It was love that moved Solomon to bring the Shulamite into his banqueting house, and love that maintained that relationship that he had with her. And Christ is the captain of our salvation. His banner over us is his love. Christ has given us by his love. Notice he has taken us by his love, and he keeps us by his love. I don't know about you, but there's many times I think about this book and I think about, even with the complexities, how much God loves us. The Bible says that Christ loved us and He gave Himself for us. He's purchased the church with His own blood. And so I'm going to ask Brother Kenny to come and and, uh, God put this song on my heart and I wanted Brother Kenny to come and lead us in this song tonight. And I don't know if you've ever heard it before, His Banner Over Me is Love. How many of you have heard that song? All right, quite a few of you have. So, Brother Kenny, you have about a 50-50 crowd tonight, all right? So let's teach it to them, and then uh, maybe we'll do it again, and maybe we'll pick it up some other time, all right? Let's sing this song. Jesus is the rock of my salvation, His banner over me is love. Jesus is the rock of my salvation, His banner over me is love. Jesus is the rock of my salvation, His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Lord is mine and I is, over me is love. The Lord is mine and I am his, his banner over me is love. The Lord is mine and I am his, banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. He brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. It's the vine and we are the branches, his banner over me is love. He is the vine and we are the branches, his banner over me is love. He is the vine and we are the branches, his banner over me is love. His banner over me 
is love. How many of you know God loves you? Amen. His banner over you is what? Love. God bless you this week. Tell somebody about the love of God. You are dismissed.